speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 58 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Sumo, and in this episode we're going to cover episodes 5 and 6 of season 5 of The Adventures of Superman. The Man Who Made Dreams Come True, and Disappearing Lois. And I just want to point out right off the bat that I am recording this episode from frigid, somewhat upstate New York during the uh, March blizzard that we got. My the heating system in the house that I'm living in has uh, decided today was a good day to not work. And I am sitting here at my computer freezing. Freezing and recording a podcast. Maybe that'll keep me warm. Maybe we're talking about the adventures of Superman will help keep me warm on this frigid winter evening. So before I get to today's business, I have uh, feedback to address from Dave McElvenny. Dave is uh, frequent and uh, just about almost only real writer to the show. Dave is writing in on, on the episode in which I talked about the wedding of Superman and Dagger Island. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. You're certainly right in describing the wedding of Superman as a live-action version of a Lois Lane comic book. And like you, I can see why this would have been Noel Neal's favorite episode. I'm not entirely sure about the central element of Mr. Faraday's plan in Lois's dream to protect himself against Lois's testimony by forcing her to marry him. First, sometimes Mabel, as his ex-girlfriend, could still testify against him and would probably have more and better evidence against him. Second, a forced marriage between him and Lois wouldn't be considered a valid marriage since both parties must give consent so Lois wouldn't really be his wife. Third, and here I'm not sure about the law on this point, even if it were a a valid marriage, Lois couldn't be compelled to testify against him, but wouldn't she be allowed to if she wanted to? Ultimately, I guess it's all in Lois' head, so maybe those aren't really proper objections. Even as a kid, I liked this episode, because Lois got at least a taste of her dream, although the end of the dream wasn't all that happy, nor was her waking from that dream, which is sad. Dagger Island is not as good an episode, and even when I was young I had the same problem you did about the Captain's Palm business. Even if the audience accepts the amazing coincidence that Jimmy made up the idea of the albino palm tree, and there just happened to be a white palm tree on the island, that really should have been at least commented on by someone in the episode. Not the best written episode by any means, but they can't all be gems. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. Uh, thank you very much, Dave, for your feedback. I just want to address one thing, uh, a couple things that you uh, wrote in this letter. Yes, I do believe you're probably right that Lois, while she couldn't be compelled to testify against Faraday, has she married him? But she would be allowed to if she wanted to. However, I'm pretty sure Faraday's plan wasn't to allow her to do so. And you are right. Whatever knowledge of the law in the dream is limited to Lois's knowledge of the law. So maybe Lois believed that a wife can't testify against her husband. I don't know. But yes, it is nice to see Lois at least get a taste of what her dream might be like. But in the end... I think the sadness comes from the fact that it was a dream, and it's really heartbreaking to see Lois turn away the flowers that are left for her at the end of the episode because she can't stand to know who sent them. Because, you know, I think at that moment in her heart of hearts, she wants to believe that Superman sent them, and as long as she doesn't open the flowers in her mind, she can still convince herself that he did send them. If she opens the flowers and he did not send them, then... She knows they weren't from him, and she pretty much knows there wouldn't be any future for her and Superman. Now, yes, uh, now, as far as Dagger Island is concerned, I also agree that, you know, the Captain's Pod business is a bit problematic since Jimmy made up the idea of the Albano, of the Albino Palm Tree. But I will uh, say, Dave, that it was commented in the episode, kind of. Well, maybe it's not commented on, but it's implied that they know after Jimmy tells Lois and Clark that he made it all up, even though Clark says, there it is, and Jimmy just kind of gives like a nod and says, yeah, I know. But it's clear from the way he delivers the line that he knows that the tree is there, but he can't quite explain why it's there. And since those three were really the only people who knew that the Captain's Pomp thing was made up, I'm not necessarily sure why Lois and Clark would say something to the other people. But anyway... You know, no explanations given, no explanations 
while plenty of explanations are warranted, there really are none to be had. Be had. So we'll just kind of leave that at that. I'm going to thank Dave for his feedback, and I'm going to encourage any one of you who would like to send any feedback, you can do so. Man of Screen at gmail.com. Over at the Facebook group, uh, Steve J. Rogers left a comment underneath by posting for episode 53, in which Bob Fisher and I covered the Deadly Rock. And Steve said, and this is in reference to uh, Robert Lowry, who played Batman in the Batman and Robin serial in 1949, guest starred as Gary Allen, a friend of Clark's. Steve said, I saw Adam West do a panel at a local con, and someone asked him about working with Kirk Allen on an obscure 1981 sci-fi TV movie called Time Warp. The guy asking made it sound that it was the first live-action video production featuring two actors that portrayed the iconic characters. As we know, Adam West portrayed Batman in the 1966 TV series, and Kirk Allen obviously was the Superman serial actor. So Steve writes, so that's wrong. It also seemed weird the question implied that West was the first live-action Batman. As well, no one reminded everyone that a true one-to-one scenario would have been Weston Reeves, which sadly could never have occurred. And while it's true that Adam West is not the first live-action Batman, a lot of people probably think that he is due to the kind of obscure nature of the Batman serials from the 40s. You know, they're not looked back on very fondly, and I think a lot of people don't really know to look for them, personally. You know, I guess, um, I believe the first actor's name was Lewis Carroll, and Lowry probably don't get the do they deserve, but it is what it is. A lot of the movie serials have kind of gone by the wayside and have been forgotten, except for the, uh, the true classics like your Flash Gordons and your Captain Marvel and some of your others. Not a lot of people, not a lot of people are looking back on the Batman serials with a great deal of fondness. Regrettably, the same can probably probably be said of the Superman serials. You know, a lot of people do really believe that George Reeves is the first live-action Superman, and for that reason, I've really called Kirk Allen as kind of the forgotten Superman. So, I'd like to thank Steve for his comment. I also have some Facebook feedback regarding the recent I Love Lucy, Lucy and Superman episode that aired a few weeks back. When I posted that the episode was coming... Aaron Henley posted, Holy crap, that picture just jump-started my memory. I remember watching this on TV Land in the Way Back Times. I feel really old that TV Land is considered the Way Back Times. I don't think Aaron is that much younger than me, but I remember Nick at Night, which was before TV Land, so all of a sudden I feel old when as compared to Aaron. And uh, Brian Hughes, who is also part of the Fear of the Walking Dead cast that I do with uh, Scott McGregor and... Uh, serotonin we he's been missing an action for this half of uh season seven but we hope uh he and his wife come back to the podcast soon after they're dealing with everything that they're dealing with at home we don't get paid for this and life does get in the way from time to time so brian writes i must have watched that episode at least 10 times as a kid the local station would rerun i love lucy several times a day so as a kid in the 70s there's only a few channels we got to see it a lot i always loved how he came in from the kitchen a true showman that george and uh steve rogers uh commented that this episode would have been a nice April Fool's Day treat, but I guess it's that's where it lands production-wise, and that's exactly what happened. This episode aired between seasons four and five, so I stuck it right in there. So That being said, I'm going to take a quick break, I'm going to play a promo, then I'm going to come back with The Man Who Made Dreams Come True. Hang around, folks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterman Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Man Who Made Dreams Come True. Original broadcast date was April 5th, 1957. Writer was David Chandler, and director was George Blair. Guest cast included Cyril Delavanti as King Leo of Sartania, Keith Richards as Rutherford Jones, the dreamer, 
John Banner as Bronski, Laurie Mitchell as Ruby, Sarah Harrison as Nancy Boyd, and Hal Hoover as Mike Thompson, the ice cream shop owner. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. King Leo of Sartania has come to Metropolis for a visit. Miss Lane, I've made up my mind. Hmm? Oh, what, Jim? I'm tired of being pushed around. From now on, I'm going to exert myself. Well, you better exert yourself right out of that chair. I'll get up when I'm good and ready. Olsen! I'm good and ready now. Oh, Clark, did you see this ad in the classified section? Which one's that, Lord? The man who makes dreams come true. Consult the dreamer today. Make your good dreams come true and learn how to escape the consequences of a bad dream. See the dreamer at 819 Half Moon Road. Hmm. Sounds like some kind of a cheap racket to me. Probably legal, though. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, now, if you're all through chatting, may I tell you why I called you in? At your service, Chief. Oh, sir, Mr. White. Thank you. As you know, the King of Sartania arrives this morning. I've set up an interview for 10 o'clock in the presidential suite. Be there, that's all. About face. Forward, ho. Leo believes that his dreams tell of things to come. What I do, I do for my country. In fact, that's the only reason I go to bed at all. So as I can have my dreams. And you actually govern your country by these dreams? Certainly. There's no other way, Mr. Kent. It's time for your nap, Your Majesty. Of course. I would like to thank you, Ma... Will you thank His Majesty for his time? His Majesty goes to work right away. So I see. This could come in handy for Rutherford Jones, a confidence man who calls himself the Dreamer. There. The Dreamer. Enter. That's all you've ever been, ever since I've been married to you. Just a dreamer. This time it'll work, Ruby. I promise you we'll be rich. Yeah, I've heard that before. And what happens, we get run out of town. Come on, I'll show you the setup. There. How do you like it? I got everything rigged. Hidden microphones, lights. This is going to make us rich? Sit down. Let's go back to selling uranium stock. Never. Before I'm through, I shall own an entire country. You've gone crazy. Not a big country, I'll admit. But very rich. It's called Sartania. Sartania? They've got one of the best small armies in the world. I don't plan to take over with a gun. Would you mind talking sense for once? Listen. Six months ago, they announced that King Leo would be making a tour of the United States. Since then, I've studied everything ever written about Sartania and its king. I even know he has a birthmark on the back of his neck. And? How would you like it if I were the next king of Sartania? They've already got a king. Yes. And he's right here in Metropolis. Whatever you've got in mind, it won't work. It will. Look at me. Can't you see me on a throne? I can see you on a rock pile, wearing a black and white suit. You'll find out. All I need now is one good testimonial. One absolutely honest person to swear that the dreamer has magic powers with a dream. I must only wait for the right fly to walk into my parlor. High school student Nancy Boyd has come to the dreamer. You've had a dream. A very important dream. Oh, gee, yes, how did you know? Why else would you be here? Can you really make dreams come true? If you wish, yes. If it's a bad dream, I can keep it from happening. Oh, this is a good one. Tell me your dream then, child. Well, you see, most of the kids in school collect movie stars' autographs and that kind of thing. But that's no fun. I always wanted to meet Superman and get his autograph, and last night I dreamed I did. Wait. I'm beginning to see it. Where did you meet him? I'm not sure. It was kind of funny. Lots of glass and white. That's all I remember. I'm beginning to hear a voice. Yes, I see it now. The 
place is an ice cream parlor. That one you always go to. That one on... Uh... Elman Maple. Yes, quiet child. I see it now. It is an ice cream parlor at Elm and Maple. Go there in an hour and wait. Well, what was that? It sounded like your voice, but different. My messenger from the dream world who speaks through me. Do as he says. Go there in an hour and wait. After Nancy leaves, Jones goes to see Clark Kent using the name Thompson. I hate to disturb you, sir, but it's pretty well known that you can make contact with Superman. Well, that's true. I, I can at times. Uh, what's on your mind? Well, there's this little girl in my neighborhood. She's so lonely, Mr. Kent. No friends. Very shy, poor child. She desperately needs something to make her feel, well, important. I'm afraid that's true of a good many people. Nancy, most of all. All she has is one hero, Superman. I'm sure he'd be very complimented if he knew. But that's not enough. Right now, she's in an ice cream parlor at Elm and Maple. If Superman could just drop by, just, just for a moment, it could change her whole life, Mr. Kent. Make her feel, well, sort of special. Give her a new confidence. Do you understand, Mr. Kent? Of course I understand. Well, we'll see what we can do now. You understand, I can't promise you anything. Oh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Kent. You don't know what this will mean to little Nancy. All right. However, when the Man of Steel encounters her to give her his signature, he learns from her and Mike Thompson that she is one of the most popular girls in her class. Once Nancy accidentally mentions the Dreamer, Superman becomes more curious. As he returns to Clark Kent's office, Nancy wonders how she can thank Jones. He says that he needs her to give a message to someone that needs his services. As Lois agrees to help Clark investigate the Dreamer, King Leo has arrived at the Confidence Man's apartment. He has convinced the monarch that his powers are legitimate. How do you do? I'm King Leo. I've come to see the Dreamer, please. You, a king? Oh, oh I realize without my royal robes. Of course he's the king. And look at that noble brow. And I seem to see a royal birthmark on the back of your neck. Amazing. I do have a birthmark on the back of my neck. You see, the keepers of the dream world have already brought us together. Come, Your Majesty. Thank you. Excuse me. Enter, Your Majesty. Exquisite. Amazing. Have a seat, Your Majesty. Thank you. Ah, this is more like it. My dream advisors tried to do it in broad daylight. Imagine, in broad daylight. I know that. Their names are Vernon, Ehrlich, and Kroll. Extraordinary. But then I knew you would be. I sent the child to you, Your Majesty, because I dreamed that we were destined to meet now at this exact moment. Oh, thank heavens I was on time. Yes, but I have to caution you. You must have complete and absolute faith in me. Otherwise, the keepers of the dream world will not speak. But I do. I do. How else would the child have seen Superman? And how would you know about the birthmark? And the names? Besides, not long ago, I dreamed that I should find something. And I have. You. Yes. I uh, felt it in the dream. But we have no time to lose. I, uh, I see another dream. Yes, a dream that came to you about a week ago. While, uh, while you were sleeping. You are absolutely correct. Tell me, Your Majesty. Tell me that dream. I dreamed that I was being swallowed up by the ocean. The seaweed was pulling me down. And there were lots of funny, bright little fish swimming all around me. And then, and then, I woke up. Do not fear, Your Majesty. I am here to help you. Oh, thank you very much. Your dream is in two parts. The first is that you are in danger of falling from your throne. You are being secretly dragged down by your nephew, 
will inherit the throne. You mean William is conspiring against me? At this very moment. Therefore, you must sign a document naming a new successor. But who? Who should I name? You must name whoever you trust the most at this exact moment. I have spoken. Why, it's you. Right now, I trust you more than anyone in the world. I'm honored, Your Majesty. Where did this come from? I, King Leo of Sartania, hereby appoint Rutherford Jones, also known as the Dreamer, as my regent and heir to my throne. Amazing. It must have come from the dream world. That settles it. I'm assigned immediately. But, Your Majesty, I'm so unworthy. Please. It is not for us to question a dream. I suppose you're right. My signature and my royal signet ring. I hope I need never use them. But he mentioned a second part to the dream. Yes, uh, it has come to me through the crystal. There is one way for you to save the throne for yourself. But how? What must I do? The water. You must stand in shallow water and the bright little fish they are sparks, electric sparks. As you stand in the water, you must grasp the end of a live electric wire. Now the charge will pass harmlessly through your body, destroying the energy of your nephew. I'll do it. I'll go home and do it immediately. You're not afraid? Of course not. If only everybody understood as we do. Come, Your Majesty. Thank you. As King Leo leaves the Dreamer, Lois Lane enters the apartment. The monarch recognizes the star reporter, even though she doesn't know who he is without his royal robes at first. Lois could interfere with Rutherford Jones' plan to take over Sartania. Now Miss Lane is the captive of the racketeer who would be king. Clark is worried about Lois when he receives a call from King Leo's bodyguard, Bronski. He tells the mild-mannered reporter of his employer's unintentional attempt on his own life. Superman has rigged at top speed to Leo's hotel room, having absorbed electrical power from the live wire in the bathtub with his bare hands. Listen. Magnificent! Your Majesty, what would have happened if I hadn't arrived in time? But you did. And somehow he must have known. He? I'm afraid that's the secret, Superman. Your Majesty, you're the second person I've been with today that had a secret. There are many things I can't explain, but I'm deeply grateful to you and him. Well, I can't force you to tell Your Majesty, but promise me you will be careful. Don't worry, Superman. Nothing can hurt me now. I hope not. Forgive me. However, he may not be able to do so once Rutherford learns that the king is still alive, but the criminal has a plan to make another deadly dream come true. Clark is in the office of Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson when a call comes in. Someone is driving backwards on the Old Cliff Road in the Palisades District, and they are going over the nearby precipice. As Henderson goes to the radio room, Clark changes into Superman. The Man of Steel has arrived in the nick of time to stop the automobile and his driver from falling to their doom. However, he is shocked to see King Leo behind the wheel. Not you again, Your Majesty. You see, I'm perfectly safe. Another fraction, you've been over the cliff. But I'm not, and I've carried out my instructions. I know, I know, it's a secret. Well, promise me one thing, will you? That you'll drive home very carefully and stay there all night? Yes, I am rather tired. Yes, I promise, Superman. Good, and I'm going to hold you to that promise. Right now, I'm afraid someone else is in trouble. A charming man. He intends to do so, but Rutherford Jones will be forced to take drastic measures now that two of his plots on Leo's life have been foiled by Superman. As Jones forces his girl Ruby to leave with him to take the direct approach with King Leo, Superman is untied Lois. She reveals that she became suspicious of the monarch, came to see the Dreamer. Now, things make more sense to the man of tomorrow. All he needs to do is move as fast as he can to prevent Leo's murder. If he doesn't, Rutherford Jones could be sitting on Zatania's throne, ruling the country with an iron hand. The Dreamer has his gun pointed at Bronski and King Leo. So this is what you wanted all the time? To get rid of me? Of course, you little fool. And this time I'm going to make sure. Now move towards that window. What can I do, Your Majesty? Nothing, Bronski. And he's right. I have been a fool. There's only one thing he can't take from me now. My dignity. 
and my dreams. Come, Bronsky. Open the window, Bronsky. My people, what have I done to them? It's a long drop, Your Majesty, but swift. Then I shall be king of Sartania. You first, Your Majesty. You're the dreamer, huh? Please, Superman. I'm His Majesty's bodyguard. Permit me. Well, I guess we can safely predict his future. I'll never need these again, but I have a feeling he will. <laughs> Excellent, Your Majesty. Now, if you'll excuse me. episode to start this week's show with you know it's not an episode i even really remembered when i opened the tv set to watch it it starts with jimmy having made up his mind that he's tired of being pushed around and he's going to exert himself more with perry white so what is the first thing that jimmy does when the chief comes into the office he allows himself to get pushed around so lois has an ad in the classified section of the paper for the man who could make dreams come true the title character of this episode clark thinks it's a racket and Perry had called him all into his office, and Jimmy is sucking up to Perry. He's at Perry's service. Again, so much for uh, not getting pushed around. And here is a man calling himself the Dreamer. And apparently it's uh, a scam to get uh, this guy and his wife rich. He's got a fortune teller set up and a crystal ball, and he says he's going to own an entire country. Really, no easy task. Apparently he intends to make himself an expert in Sartania, so that he can uh, finagle his way onto the throne. Yeah. All he has to do is do a bunch of research, and he's going to be king of Sartania. I'm not quite buying this either. His wife is about as skeptical as we are, and, uh... But, you know what? He's wearing an impressive robe and a turban, so... We're gonna go with that. Apparently, the king believes in superstitious objects, and uh, Jimmy is okay with that, but Clark is surprised that the king believes in them. King Leo is an elderly man, and it's kind of crazy how... Far he seems to have gotten on superstition alone. Apparently King Leo rules his land by his dreams and there's no other way. I can imagine that's not a great way to govern, but I guess it works for him. I can only imagine the king is narcoleptic because holy crap does he fall asleep in a hurry. Clark gets up to leave, the king says he needs to take his beauty rest, and voila, he is out in a minute. So... In need of a testimonial, here comes a high school girl to pay the dreamer a visit. Apparently, she believes in him, and she's taken in by everything the wife says. Apparently, she dreamed about getting Superman's autograph, and uh, I guess this is important enough to seek out a man whom she thinks has magical powers. I'm not sure an autograph, a dream about an autograph, would send me out to the local mystic, but it's sending her. All right, so he has a light table, you know, which, for those of you who have never been in printing, a light table... It's basically a table with a light bulb underneath the tabletop. So that it, when it lights up, you can see what's on a negative. Because the table will light up the negative, making the picture a little more visible to your eyes. But in this case, the light table is lighting up the crystal ball, kind of giving it an otherworldly uh, effect. So apparently she met Superman in a glass place with a lot of white. So the dreamer sends her over to an ice cream parlor. And after she leaves, uh, the dreamer makes uh, sure that Superman gives her that autograph and... He shows up at Clark's office asking Superman to go see Nancy at an ice cream parlor. And he's laying it on pretty thick, talking about how lonely she is. And, you know, Clark's not budging too much immediately. And, uh, you know, he kind of just says, I have no promises, but I will see what I can do. Which is usually the uh, translation for get out. And I'm not going to do anything about what you want. But And it doesn't appear that Clark is going to do anything about this immediately. But after a minute, he, he thinks about it and you can tell he's... Suspicious of the dreamer, who said his name is T Thompson, which is the name of the ice cream shop owner. But I guess eventually he decided it's worth it. So Superman shows up at the ice cream shop, meets Nancy, and uh, we learn that Nancy is not as lonely as the dreamer made her out to be. And then Nancy slipped up and told Superman that she saw the dreamer. And Clark was suspicious of the dreamer. So all of a sudden, when he gets back to the office, he sends Lois to go see him and find out what she can. And he makes a deal with her that gives her the byline. And, you know, he just wants the info. But it's interesting what would have happened if Clark had showed up at the Dreamer's place. 
I think the reason Clark isn't going because he knows the Dreamer would recognize him, as Clark is still suspicious of him, and he suspects the man who showed up in his office to be the Dreamer. So, there's the King showing up at the Dreamer's place. He's very he's taken right in by the setup, and the Dreamer somehow knows about the scar on his neck. I don't know if he studied uh, the King Leo biology manual, but... He somehow knows. But apparently being psychic is the only explanation for the things the Dreamer knows. King Leo was clearly not seeing the machinations that are at work here. The Dreamer points out that a dream came to him while he was sleeping. Of course it did. When else would a dream come to him? The Dreamer puts in the King's head that his nephew is turning against him and is going to make a play for the throne. And then as the Dreamer is speaking, a note comes out of nowhere uh, that with his signature, King Leo makes the person he trusts the most at that moment who is the Dreamer, the rightful heir to the kingdom of Satania. Now, I'm not sure if this document is entirely legal, and I'm not necessarily sure that this can make him the heir to the throne for Satania, but apparently we're meant to believe that it does. So, I guess that's that. So, Lois shows up at the Dreamer's place, and he pulls a gun on her. He's not wasting any time. He wants that throne. He's not going to stop, apparently. While uh, the king gave Lois away, as he recognized Lois immediately, and she did not recognize him without his royal robes on. Which just goes to show that Lois is no good at recognizing anybody's face. And she doesn't recognize Superman when he doesn't have his big flowing red cape on. Or his blue and red costume. And yellow. So, this gets Lois grabbed by the Dreamer. And meanwhile, Clark is sitting in his office, and... Uh, the king is about to electrocute himself, and the butler calls Clark. And of course, you know, your boss is going to offer yourself. The first thing you do is call the reporters. And at least it worked out for him, as that brings Superman crashing through the window, saving the king from uh, electrocuting himself. And, you know, and I like this effect of the sparks flying as Superman grabs the wire. You know, very well done. And you know what? I'm beginning to think this guy is definitely not fit to be king. And the king goes back to the dreamer, because something in his mind tells him that this was part of the dreamer's plan. I'm not seeing how that is, especially if the Dreamer is shocked that he's still alive. Basically, he told the king that the little fish he saw were electrical sparks and that he was going to fry himself in the bathtub and the charge would pass right through him. This guy is believing it. But the Dreamer is a smooth character and he is adapting immediately, on the fly. He, he knows what he has to do to keep his con going. And we know from the transition on the clock, the show has done this one multiple times, that the king, Dreamer and the King have been in conference for a while. But we don't know what he told the King, but apparently uh, the Dreamer told him to go drive backwards off a cliff. Although that stunt driver looks nothing like him, and he isn't even wearing a crown. So I'm guessing that was just some stock footage that was played backwards of a car going down the street. So Superman stops the car, and he's frustrated that it's the King again, and kind of orders him home. And apparently the King is taking Superman's rescues as some kind of providence, and... Having survived this, the king has called him again to ask him for advice, and the dreamer continues to be frustrated and with the fact that the king keeps surviving, and he is yelling at his wife, and uh, this doesn't appear to be a very happy marriage, and at this point, I'm noticing that Lois hasn't been seen in a while. I wonder where she is. Eventually, Clark finds her at the dreamer's place. He changes to Superman so he can rescue Lois. And we're going to go right to the king's hotel room, and there's the dreamer holding a gun on the king. How does the dreamer get such easy access to the king? I want to know. Aren't there guards? How exactly did he get up here? Well, either way, Superman comes in, stops the royal assassin, and lets Bronski, who is apparently the king's bodyguard, not a very good one, and, but Superman allows him to punch the dreamer out. And I don't know if this episode went over for time or what, but they didn't even bother with an end scene for this episode, as Superman just kind of leaves the king and flies off. You know, just like I mentioned, this is not a very good episode. I'm going to venture out and say it's kind of dumb. And, you know, this is the problem with the monarchy. If the title is passed down through lineage, once in a while you're going to get a moron like this on the throne that rules the country based on what his dreams tell him. So, I'm ready for the next episode, aren't you? Let's take a podcast promo break, and then we'll come back with Disappearing Lois. Hang around, folks. Star Wars, give me those Star Wars. I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. 
Well, you're part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? <sighs> I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me the... <coughs> including the irredeemable shag whose voice you will technically hear on every episode on Give Me Those Star Wars. The official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Disappearing Lois. Original broadcast date was April 12th, 1957. Writers were David and Peggy Chandler. Director was George Blair. Guest cast included Milton Frome as Wayne Garrett, Ben Weldon as Lefty, and Yvonne White as Sarah Crane. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Bank robber Lane Garrett is out on parole after being in prison for seven years. Is it something I did, Chief? Uh, sir, Mr. White? No, Olson, for a change it isn't. I'm just debating whether I should go through with something I'm sure I shouldn't. Chief, may I ask just what you're talking about? Well, if you would read the paper you happen to be working for, you'd know that Lank Garrett got out of prison today. Garrett? Well, they should have locked him up for the rest of his life. They only convicted him of robbery, Lois. Only served seven years, but now he's out on parole. Exactly. And the million dollars he stole has never been recovered. Cheapers. How can you lose a million dollars? Oh, he didn't lose it, Jimmy. The police believe he has it hid somewhere. And it says here, authorities believe Garrett may sit out his parole, recover the money, and set up a new criminal empire. Hmm, pretty smart. He just waits till they can't pick him up again for some minor parole violation. He is smart. Smart enough not to talk to a single reporter. And that's my concern. If you want that interview, Chief, give me the assignment, and I'll make him talk. My name is... They say he killed 20 men. My name is John Paul Jones. <laughs> Nevertheless, I want that interview. We could scoop every paper and wire service in town, in the country. And I'm offering an extra month's salary to whichever one of you gets it. Well, now, Chief, I think we'll all do our best without a bonus. But with a bonus, we'll do even better. Well, then get on it. Forget your other assignments. I want that interview. Garrett is staying at the Carlton Arms. And be careful. I doubt a prison has made a new man out of Lank Garrett. Lois and Jimmy have every intention of scooping Clark. Should they get Lank Garrett to talk, the plan could have one of the biggest articles ever printed. On the other hand, Jimmy and Lois can end up in the middle of yet another dangerous situation that will require Superman's help. Lois, working together with Jimmy, has an idea on how to get the Lank Garrett interview. In the meantime, Clark has driven her to her new apartment. Lois then calls Clark when he returns home. She forgot her purse in his car. However, when Clark arrives at her door, a woman named Sarah Green answers. Hello. Uh, I was looking for Miss Lois Lane. She asked me to return this purse. I'm sorry. You must have the wrong apartment. Oh, no. That's impossible. You see, I just left her a few hours ago. This is apartment 13, the end of the corner. That's right. Listen, mister, I don't know what this is all about, but I've lived here for the last three years. And you don't even know Lois Lane? Lois Lane? Who's she? Never mind. Well, it can't be, but it is. Every stick of furniture is different. Everything. I'm sorry, but I'll have to ask you to go now. I wouldn't want to have to call the police. No, ma'am. The landlady, the janitor, and the switchboard operator all claim that Miss Green has lived there for three years. You do work pretty hard, Kent. Maybe a vacation or a, even a good night's sleep. Oh, no, come on, Bill. I know what you're thinking, but I'm absolutely sure, positive, that this was the apartment, the same one. Did you check the landlady? Of course, and the janitor. And they both swear they never even heard of Lois Lane. And that this uh, Sarah Green had lived there for over three years. Well, obviously, you must have gone to the wrong building or the wrong block or something like that. Oh, come on now, Bill. You know I'm not exactly an idiot. Aren't you? <laughs> oh, fine. Wait a minute. 
Lois's telephone. The phone company must have a listing. No, unfortunately, it's not a private number. It goes right to the apartment switchboard. Oh, and I suppose you checked on that, too. Of course, and the telephone operator sides with the landlady and the janitor. Yeah, I'm sorry, we have no Miss Lois Lane living here. Exactly, so what am I going to do now? You better make an effort, a full-time effort, to find the girl. In the meantime, I'll arrange to have the building under a 24-hour surveillance. You know, it does sound a little fishy. Yeah, I can't thank you enough, Bill. I don't mind telling you I've been pretty worried. I'll keep in touch. Disguised as cleaning people who work for the Carlton Arms Hotel, where Link Garrett is currently staying, Lois and Jimmy manage to enter the gangster's room. Glad to have you back, Mr. Garrett. How does it feel? Okay. Feels okay. I bet. What were you thinking about all the mirrors? Thinking? Things, just things. I bet. Oh, hey, I hear you're going to open a business. Yeah, sure. I'm going to open a parakeet shop. Awful nosy, ain't you? I can't help it. An awful good looking for this kind of work. Well, she's got three old grandmothers to support. Three grandmothers, huh? Come here, kid. Nobody's got three grandmothers. What's that in your pocket, kiddo? Oh, it's just a handkerchief. Yeah? Well, I collect handkerchiefs. Give. But... He said give. Yes, sir. Hmm, Lois Lane, Daily Planet. Ain't that nice. Couple of reporters, huh? Look, we can explain everything, I hope. Miss Lane, explain everything. I, I have to go. Well, all right, we are reporters. But we just wanted to get an interview. We get a bonus if we beat Clark Kent to it. <laughs> Sit down. You know, I like people that use their heads. This ain't a bad gimmick. I got admiration for it. You do? Sure. I remember this Ken character. He wrote some articles against me once. Well, you don't have to worry about him. We've taken care of him. Jimmy. What's he mean, taking care of him, Miss Lane? Come on, now, you level with me, and I might do you some good. Well, I had this new apartment, you see. I arranged everything with the landlady and the janitor and my neighbor from across the hall. After Mr. Kent brought me home, I had her move into my place, furniture and all. Hey, that's a... I don't get it. Well, it's really simple. After she moved in, I had Clark come back. Why, he's so confused and so worried about me, he won't think of anything for days, especially interviewing you. <laughs> I bet Kent must be going around in circles. I'd sure like to see him make a fool of himself. Then you'll give us the interview? Maybe. All right, now I got an appointment. Now, when I get back uh, to join three or clean and everything's nice, uh, maybe I'll talk. Golly, thanks, Mr. Garrett. I said maybe. Come on, Lefty. Jeepers, that was close. Sure, but it worked. Only, why didn't we disguise ourselves as census takers or something? <laughs> you have a point there. <laughs> Come on, Jim. <clears throat> Fearing he will tell Clark Kent where they are, Lois and Jimmy are hiding from Superman when he flies in through the window of Garrett's room. The Man of Steel's powerful eyes find the stolen million dollars hidden under a floorboard near the front door covered by a green throw rug. After Superman leaves, Jimmy and Lois open the secret compartment containing the cash box. Their discovery could get them into grave peril if Lane Garrett catches them. Have a knife, Jim? Yeah, at your service, Miss Lane. Jeepers, buried treasure. I wouldn't be surprised. This must be it. The loot the police never found. That's right, Miss Lane. Well, you told us to clean out everything. So now you know. You see, Miss Lane, the police ain't positive I've got this dough. In a couple of years, they'd forget about me. And I could get it out of the country. Oh, that's fine. I've forgotten about it already. Sure you have. Until you get to the police. And suddenly, they become positive. They'd watch me for the next 50 years. Well... If you don't need us for anything more, we'll... Too bad, kid. You both learned more than I would have told you in an interview. What are you going to do now? Since you're already considered missing, let's keep it that way. But I'm not missing. Don't worry, you will be. Lefty, take him out to the old mine shaft. 
You know what to do. Right. And bury this out there deep. What for? If these two halfwits found it here, maybe somebody else will. Come on, get going. Mr. Garrett, you'll regret this. We'll give you one more chance to change your mind. I'd regret it more if I didn't do it. So long. I'll understand if you don't send postcards. All right, Hatwitz. Let's get going. Come on. Superman tells Inspector Henderson where Garrett has hidden the stolen money. However, upon searching the place, both men do not find their objective. Put that thing away. I'm not going anywhere. Hello, Garrett. I haven't seen you in quite a spell. Yeah, I can't. I like it that way. Oh? Bill, where did Superman say it was? Under a green throw rug. Oh? Well, this must be the place. Let's try this one. But, but Bill, it was there. I, I saw it. You saw it? Well, I mean, didn't you tell me that Superman said he saw it? You know, it's beginning to look as if Superman's as goofy as you are, Clark. He tells me about money that isn't here, and you take Lois to her apartment and lose her. Doesn't sound like we're very bright, does it? It sure doesn't. Come on, let's get going. All right. If there's uh, anything else I can do to help, uh, just let me know. Thanks. He intends to kill two birds with one stone, or rather a bunch of stones, by making the shaft entrance cave in. Okay. Out you go. This side. Come on. What do we do now? Well, if we had a picnic basket, we could have a picnic. <laughs> but seeing as we don't... Well, I'll gladly drive back into town and get some sandwiches. <laughs> I got a better idea. Go on. Go in there, both of you. Come on, hurry it up. It's a good place to play hide-and-seek. Nice and dark. And it's gonna be even darker once I yank those posts away. But if you do that... The roof will cave in. <laughs> He's got a good little head on his shoulder, that kid, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lefty, you're so cute. Yeah. I wish I could say clever things like that. I don't think it was so clever. Neither do I. If he pulls those braces away, the roof will cave in. And you'll be inside. But we could smother that way. Ooh, that's the general idea. Now, why would you want to do a thing like that, Lefty? Ooh, you heard what Garrett told me. Lefty? Yeah? Don't you get tired of taking orders from that, that goon? Yeah. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been, you mean? Oh, he's the brains. I'm just muscle. Why? Just because he says so? But he says it so loud. Of course, because he's bluffing. He knows you're smarter than he is. I, I am? Why, certainly. He just doesn't want you to find out. Hey. Maybe you got something there. Hmm. And you know what? Huh? You could be the big boss, Lefty. The boss? Oh. Yeah, but that, that takes, uh, that takes connections, money. What do you think's in that little box? What? Oh, that's the boss's money. I'm supposed to bury it. You haven't been paying attention, Lefty. Huh? You're the boss. Now repeat after me. I am the boss. I am the boss. Hey, that sounds good. I am the boss. And you're taking the money to travel to South America. And I am taking the money to travel to South America. <laughs> After I get rid of you, too, that is. Well, now, what kind of gratitude is that after Miss Lane gave you the idea and everything? Ooh. But you're too smart for that, Lefty. Why, if you did anything to us, you'd be in trouble with the law. You'd be a fugitive. A fugitive? Oh, yeah. And besides, if you want to be the big boss, you need a mob. Otherwise, there's no one to boss. And uh, Just where am I supposed to get a mob? Well, you've got a pretty good start right here. You know, Lefty, there's one thing Jimmy's always wanted to be. Yeah. A henchman. Right, Jimmy? What? A henchman. Oh, oh, sure. Why, when I was a kid, and they'd ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up, Jimmy? I'd always say, 
A henchman, that's what I want to be. And this is the chance I've always dreamed of. The chance to be a gun mole. No, you wouldn't shatter my hopes, would you? Well, uh, if that's what you want. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, Jimmy and I'll run and pack a few things, and you get the plane tickets. Hey, I'm the boss. I'll give the orders. Yes, sir. What are they? Well, uh... You and the kid go pack a few things. I'll pick up some plane tickets. Right. And, uh, now why don't you order us to meet at my apartment in an hour? We'll meet at your apartment in an hour. Should we start back to town now, boss? Sir? Them's my orders. Go on, get in the car. You drive, henchman. Yes, sir, boss. In the back with me, Mom. With phase one complete, all that's needed is to contact Clark Kent, who will call Inspector Henderson. Well, Miss Lane, it's nice to see it's you. Hi. Come on in. Hi, Mr. Kent. Inspector Henderson. Well, nice to see you both. Oh, it is, is it? We've been on a wild goose chase for two days, and now you're all sweetness and delight. And what have you been up to? Curiosity killed the cat. Just relax. Inspector, keep your gun handy, but out of sight. Well, baby, I got the... What is this? I want you to meet Lefty, and Garrett's money is in that police. All right, Lefty, let's have it. Move over. Put it on the table. Why, you no good double No, person. no, that's no way to talk to your gun, Ma. Open the bag, Jimmy. All right, reach for it. All of it. Put the guns in the bag. Come on. Pick up the bag, Lefty. It's a good thing I had you followed, you little worm. I was beginning to get suspicious. I got a driver waiting outside. We're all gonna go for a nice little ride. Come on. You yeah. killed him. That's what usually happens when you connect with a bullet. Come on, let's go. Come on, open the door. Come on. He intends to bury them in tons of rock from the old mine shaft. At the same time, Superman is in hot pursuit. Superman has prevented the avalanche of rock from harming his friends, while at the same time literally halting Lank Garrett's car. Bullets bounce off the Man of Steel, and Lank Garrett's gang will spend the rest of their days in prison. Later in Perry White's office at the Daily Planet, Clark Kent must pretend to have his arm in a sling from the gunshot Garrett fired at him. Does your arm hurt much, Clark? No, Lois, I can truthfully say it doesn't hurt a bit. It's just as though the bullet didn't even touch me. Well, golly, that's good. Well, Clark, of course, the office will pay your doctor bills. Well, don't worry, Chief, I don't think there'll be any bills. Well, speaking of money, Lois, I promised you an extra month's salary, and I'm going to double it. Golly, Chief. Well, all I expected was the interview. I never dreamed that you'd recover the money and put Garrett safe behind bars again. And for good this time. It's all due to you, Lois. With a little help. Well, however it happened, at least I beat you out. Don't you always, Lois? All right, this one episode was a little more fun than the last one. One of the things that I know that whenever I see Ben Weldon on the screen, I know I'm in for, at the very least, a fun episode. So, now that we're six episodes into season five, I'm noticing that starting with music that sounds a little more humorous. Kind of shows the light in the mood of the show. You know, at this point, this show is starting to go kind of full kid show, as we're going to see in a few more episodes that are coming up. And apparently, uh, Lank Garrett is out of jail. Now, you know, this is a serious matter, Lank Garrett being out of jail. You know, apparently he's a very dangerous man, but the way in which our heroes are going to go about making, about arresting him again is what makes this episode humorous and, you know, a little more kid-friendly. So Jimmy is all about an assignment to interview a dangerous criminal until it is revealed to him that Garrett has killed 20 men. You know, then he's a little, uh, little more cautious. And uh, Perry is offering a healthy bonus, but even though Clark is willing to do the story without a bonus, you know, Jimmy is quick to add that he'll do even better if, if he gets a bonus. Now, Clark mentioned something about driving Lois to her new apartment, and, uh, you know, she uh, has apparently moved, and, well, that's nice to see. I guess she got enough bonuses from previous uh, assignments that she can now afford a new apartment. Maybe it's bigger than the one she had. We never really get a very good look at Lois Lane's apartment. So then, after Clark goes into his office, uh, Lois offers Jimmy an opportunity to work with her on the assignment. He's okay with that. Uh, I'm not sure if, if he knows he's going to still get a bonus if he works with Lois, but he is not thinking about that right now. So Clark drives Lois to her new apartment. It's an unlucky 13, which Clark even mentions that to Lois, whether she's concerned about that being an unlucky number. But it's a strange question, considering that Clark has spent you know the better part of the coloring episodes telling the world how unsuperstitious he is. 
and then how he thinks such things are nonsense. For him to be concerned about that, right, in this case, is not consistent with previous episodes. But, you know, I am noticing some of the sets look different, a little smaller. Maybe maybe it's budget cuts, I don't know. I don't recall seeing uh, Clark bust a hat rack before, but it's there. He calls it Sam. I'm glad to know it has a name. And uh, Lois has given Clark a call. Apparently, she has left her purse in the car, and Clark will return to the apartment, and he finds somebody completely different there, who says that she has lived in the apartment for the last three years. And he also finds different furniture there. And he walks away quite confused, because he was just there, he knows this is the apartment that he dropped Lois off at, and, well, he also knows that the occupant is different, as is the furniture. Strange things are afoot here for Clark Kent. Now, Clark Kent's mental faculties are beyond reproach, but something fishy is going on here. So, Bill asks Clark if he's working too hard or going crazy, and then suggests that Clark must have gone to the wrong place. Clark is frustrated that everyone he spoke to indicates that no Lois Lane has ever lived there. So, we're kind of... Unless Clark is wrong, and as viewers, we are inclined to think that he's not. After all, he's Superman. Like I said, his mental faculties should be beyond reproach. But you know, I guess even a Superman can wilt under pressure if he is stressed out enough. But he shouldn't be stressed out about what's going on here. Because this is clearly a put-on. At least we're meant to think that it is. And we're going to find out later in the episode that this is a put-on. But, you know, Henderson does offer some logical explanations. That maybe Clark was at the wrong building, for one. And then it says he'll put the building Lois is uh, supposed to be living in under surveillance. So Clark goes back, and apparently he runs into Sarah Green again. And uh, she must think she has a stalker or something. And she gives this little smirk as Clark leaves. So, you know, the little smirk tells me that Sarah is in on something or is up to something. Clark leaves because Sarah has offered to have him arrested in the past. So he's going to leave and walk away and... Trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. So, in this next scene, here's uh, here are our missing people. Here is Lois and Jimmy. Here is Lank Garrett. He is played by uh, Milton Frome, and we previously saw him in The Wedding of Superman, in which he played Mr. Faraday, the public defender, and in Lois's dream, he was the big boss criminal that was trying to get Lois to marry him so that he couldn't testify against her, as we discussed in the letter from Dave McElvenny. So, he's ordering his henchman to bring him some coffee, and the henchman is played by the series' his most prolific guest star, Ben Weldon. And it's always a joy to see Ben Weldon. You know, obviously the producers have seen a lot that, a lot of comedic talent in Weldon because they keep on bringing him back. And they're going to bring him back quite often in episode 6 and 7. Like I mentioned when, last time I spoke about Ben Weldon with Bob Fisher, Weldon guested in 8 episodes, although it seems to be a lot more. So he's like I said, he nobody comes close to the number of appearances that Ben Weldon had on this show. And you know what? I love Ben Weldon in every appearance that he's in. And, and here's our missing Lois our, and Jimmy pretending to be cleaning people. Apparently, Lank likes to run down Lefty, so I'm guessing this is going to come into play later. Lois is very sly about this and tries to get an interview with Garrett, but he's not really giving her a formal interview. She, she's just kind of asking questions as he cleans, and he's giving very disinterested answers, and eventually gets frustrated with Lois's nosiness, because apparently he's not used to uh, housekeeping asking questions. But for some reason, he's not sending her away. And, but clearly, he doesn't want to talk to the hell. <laughs> so Lois asks him if he's opening a business, and he says he's opening up a parakeet shop. Why not? I wouldn't mind opening up a parakeet shop, I guess. Got a million dollars in a strong box. It seems like the thing to do. When Garrett notices how attractive Lois is and how hard she's working. Jimmy kind of blows everything to hell when he mentions that she has to take care of her three grandmothers. So the jig is up as nobody has three grandmothers. At least not three natural grandmothers. I guess if you have a step-grandmother, you can have three grandmothers. But Lank doesn't like that excuse. And he is going to forcibly... He's going to check Lois's apron. And Lefty is going to find the press card. Which brings me to my first question to Lois. So I'd like to put to Miss Lane. If she's undercover... Why would she carry around her credential in her apron? Doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, does it? So, you would think this would anger Lank Garrett to no end, but it doesn't. Actually, he admires their ingenuity, so he is uh, going to think about giving them the interview if the apartment is spotless when he comes back. But before that, Lois is going to tell them the whole story about what happened to Clark. She asked her neighbor, Sarah Green, to switch apartments with her. Let me say that again. They switched apartments. 
This is not like two people switching up, switching an outfit. Moving furniture is not this easy. Trust me, I just moved. I know. Plus, she apparently got the switchboard operator, landlord, and the whole bunch of other people to help her play a trick on Clark. If she just moved in, she barely knows these people. And I have a real hard time imagining she got all this done. But when Garrett leaves, she and Jimmy realize the one flaw in their plan. They actually do have to clean like Garrett's hotel room. Now, at this point, Clark is almost unhinged with worry. But Perry suggests that she wants to get the Garrett interview first, and Clark has nowhere to turn, as everyone thinks he's going crazy at this point. So it's up to Superman, who shows up at Garrett's place. You know, as they come out of the, uh, I guess that's the bedroom, Lois and Jimmy see Superman and keep quiet so he doesn't know they're there. And there are about a million different ways Superman should have detected them without turning around, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. So Superman is really focused on what he's doing. He x-rays the floor and sees the cash box underneath the floorboards, underneath the green throw rug. So, when Superman is gone, Lois and Jimmy pull back the rug and they find the strong box with the money. And, of course, that's when Garrett and Lefty return home. Garrett was going to wait until the police kind of forgot about him, and Lois and Jimmy say they've forgotten immediately, but you know what? Left he, he orders Lefty to take them to an old mine shaft where he is going to presumably kill them. I enjoy how Garrett is giving Garrett one last chance to change his mind, even though he's the one who has the gun pointed at him. So, after they leave, Superman shows up at Henderson and tells him about the box. He said he would have taken it, but he didn't have a warrant. So, this is Superman operating completely within the law. Obviously, this didn't stop Lois and Jimmy from taking the strong box, but but it will stop Superman, because like I said, he is a, a law-abiding citizen, and he's going to work within the purview of the police department. So, here is Lefty, Lois, and Jimmy at the mine. Uh, they're not going to have a picnic, that's for sure, even though Jimmy is more than willing to escape captiv- captivity to go get some sandwiches. And Lefty's plan is to cave in the mine, and, you know... Here's Lois trying to, in a very funny scene, trying to butter Lefty up here to save their own lives by reminding him of how mean Garrett is to him. You know, Garrett's a bit of a bully, and Weldon, as probably the not-too-bright henchman, is, you know, you even said that he's just a dull muscle. Well, Lois is uh, flirting, is going to uh, ramp up Lefty's opinion of his brain power, which isn't much. But whatever the plan is here, it's a simple plan. Lois is building Lefty up in his own mind, and I love the grin on Weldon's face when he realizes he could be the boss. But first, Lois has to talk him out of killing them. Lois offers uh, themselves up as his mob. Apparently, Jimmy's always wanted to be a henchman. When Jimmy kind of is a henchman, when you really stop to think about it, he kind of just tags along with Lois and Clark and do whatever one of them needs him to. In a way, Jimmy has always been a bit of a henchman, even, even if he's not a criminal henchman in the more normal sense of the word. And Lois says that she's always wanted to be a gun mom. And Lefty believes it because she's giving him some attention. <laughs> Lefty, uh, while she's doing this, Lefty scratches his chin with the gun, and he's quite lucky he didn't blow his own head off, which would not have been a very kid-friendly thing for him to have done. But they successfully convince uh, Lefty that going back to the city is his idea. You know, he needs to feel that way because he's the boss, because he previously got mad at Lois for making plans, and he expresses insult is a his feelings by yelling at her because he's the boss, and then, you know, he'll basically repeat what she says right after that. So, now here are the police with a warrant. They check the spot where the box was, and it's as Garrett files his nails, and, well, nothing there. And Clark flubs his secret identity when he says that he saw the box. Where's the box? Then Henderson comments that Superman is as goofy as Clark is. So, after all this is done, they leave. Clark goes home, defeated. Clark, Lois calls Clark, and she tells him to have Henderson come over. To apartment 13. And here they find her at apartment 13, and Clark is irritated and yells at Lois that they've been chasing her for two days. Here comes Lefty, and he's mad at the uh, betrayal. Then right after that, Garrett comes in, and he gets the drop on all of them. Even Henderson, who had already taken Lefty's gun. He had taken Lefty's gun, has his own gun, and Lefty got the drop on him. There is no reason in this situation, at least that I think, that Henderson couldn't have taken Garrett. So obviously Garrett says, hands up, and he obeys, I guess, like I mentioned, he forgot he had two weapons in his hands. Clark tries to escape by going through the bedroom door. However, Garrett responds by shooting Clark and bounces off the door and falls forward onto his face in a, in a maneuver that doesn't look at all fake. But it's enough to fool everyone into thinking Clark is dead. Take note, Clark's left arm is in front of him when he gets shot. That'll come into play later. Those of Jimmy are upset, but they are ushered out. Of course, Clark, <coughs> Clark gets right back up and changes into Superman. Suddenly, Garrett has a new henchman that we've never seen before, and he's going to pull the mine down, or 
with a rope tied to the bumper of the car. And Lois and Jimmy and Henchmen are kind of tied out at the entrance waiting for everything to fall down around them. Now, speaking of the car and the rope, I believe my father has offered once or twice on his kid to help me re- remove a loose tooth by tying it to the bumper of the car. So, thank him for not doing that. That probably would have been painful. And we're going to move on from there. I do love how Superman grabbed the rope and tried to reel the car back in. And, of course, Garrett's going to get out of the car and shoot Superman, but Superman just kind of throws them into the mine. And in the ending scene, Clark has his sling on the wrong arm. It's on the right arm, which was against the door. The Like I mentioned, the left arm was more toward the gun, but, well, neither here nor there. Nobody seems to notice that Clark has put the sling on the wrong arm. You know, wouldn't it be amusing if, you know, as Clark kind of went about his day, he would put the, the sling on different parts of, on different arms, just to mess with people. Anyway, that's the end of this episode. Next time, I'll be back for a couple of better efforts with, uh, Money to Burn and Close Shave. And Close Shave. Until I'm back with that, you can contact the sh- You can send me feedback by emailing manofscreen at gmail.com. You can, if you want to join the Facebook group, just search for the Man of Screen podcast and the group should come up. You can leave me some feedback. You can leave me some feedback there, like, uh, Steve and Brian did. And if you like, you can review the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That helps other people find the show in those directories. And you can leave me a message on, on Twitter. You can find my handle at Mana Screencast. So, until next time, this is Mike Zumo saying thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.